the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, July 26th. As we head into our second hour, we do so with one of my favorite people, Brandon Weichert, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. He is the publisher of The Weichert Report, theweichertreport.com. Free and critical information if you care about foreign policy, a little domestic policy, too, which is how we handle things every Monday in the second hour with Brandon. He's also the author of an important book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, it's increasingly a question of mine whether the subtitle of your most recent, your latest, your latest book, How America Remains a Superpower, I almost, as I say that, I almost want to ask you, um, you know, in a, when it comes out in its next edition, do we want a different subtitle? Because it's turning out that there's an awful lot of people in Washington that don't really want America to be a superpower, it seems like. Brandon, are you there? Hello. Do we have you on mute? Do we have Brandon? All right. We will try another way. Slight technical difficulty there. We'll be right back. It was such a good setup. <laughs> it was such a good setup. I'll give another setup because I suspect we'll have Brandon back in a second. Um, one of the the other setups I wanted to give to Brandon was that the – Talks with China right now, and he's written a lot about China, are not going well. We have dispatched Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman to be um, in charge of our portfolio with China abroad. She's an example, like Warren Christopher, of people who fail upwards. Last task I remember that she was given – we don't have Brandon, Bill. Last task that uh, I was uh, uh, cognizant of her involvement – in was to keep North Korea from obtaining nuclear weapons. Fine job she did on that. We now have Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Hi, I'm here. I heard everything you said. Uh, it was a good uh, setup, wasn't it? It was great. Now, the issue was... You I, have to uh, change your very... subtitle. There are people in Washington who yes. don't want America to be a superpower. That's true. And in fact, when I worked on the Hill, I remember specifically a briefing in which an Air Force general... Uh, broke down basically how the United States could lose another uh, great power war. Yep. And he said he said that essentially, uh, you know, America is teetering. This was back in 2013. He said America's teetering on losing its superpower status and being nothing more than a regional power with global responsibilities, which is not a practical way to be as a, as a nation. You either are the world's superpower or you're just one power of many. And, um, you know, my concern is exactly right, is that now that we have a Biden administration, it is looking increasingly like uh, whatever they're saying they want to do, that the elites in Washington, D.C. are very fine consigning our country to history's dustbin so long as they get their big payout. Well, it it suffuses across a lot of different areas, whether it's think tanks, whether it's even at the DOD. I'm reading your column 
uh, your most, one of your more recent columns, China is going to attack the U.S. and its allies soon. And you're pointing out, you know, this Mark Milley, they, the, he's he's the symptom of a larger problem. My my view of, you know, expanded government beyond the four corners of the Constitution is always the problem when we ask why a basic crisis eventuated. Why didn't the government help us or prevent this? And my answer is right. usually because they're doing things they were never intended to do and they're not focused. <laughs> That's well, right. while Mark Milley That's is busy right. reading Lenin because he thinks that'll help him understand <laughs> Americans better. By the way, I just I continually point out, Brandon, he said Lenin. No one reads Lenin. Right. It's a lie. Right. No, you you and right. I have never. Maybe you have because you're weird. But no one I know <laughs> has ever read Lenin. Have you read I Lenin, actually, I Brandon? Be, be honest. Have you read Lenin? I've had to read uh, one speech he gave. It was okay. required reading by Dr. John Lenchowski. Oh, well, Lenchowski. Okay, but but okay, fair enough. If Miller was that. a student of John Lenchowski's, we'd be in better shape. <laughs> but he's not, and he didn't study Lenin under Lenchowski. I know That's Lenchowski. Right. Well, let me tell you. I, <laughs> I know Lenchowski. If you, scroll, <laughs> if you scroll, a little, scroll a little bit farther down on my website, you'll see an article I wrote uh, basically saying, Mark Milley is not woke. This is a cynical ploy. He was PO'd that he was included in the photo of Trump at the burned-out St. John. And so this is him trying to rehabilitate what he thinks is not only his legacy, but he's also, he thinks, reading the room, and he thinks (laughs) the future is in the left. And so he's trying to kowtow to what he thinks will be the dominant political force in this country for the next several decades, the Democratic Party so that he can ensure that his Pentagon is still getting funded. That's what this is. This is about his legacy plus funding. Perfect. He's using the language of woke, but he's not actually woke. And that's what makes this even worse. Because a fanatic I know how to deal with. Yeah. But somebody like, yeah. like Millie, yeah. you know, that's just it's pathetic. No, it's wrong. political opera- operations when yes. he's assuring us that he is an apolitical man, sending out his lieutenants to tell us he is not a political man. And yet he is fascinated in studying yes. um, white rage and reading and Karl Marx to understand that, it. You know, yeah. And I should note that Millie did give me uh, – he, he's been very kind to my book, but I just cannot stay quiet about his comments about CRT, critical race theory, and this, this mania that has consumed Washington, D.C., and, you know, it's a gift to the Chinese and the Russians. They're well, loving this. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me close the, uh, let me, let me give you the punchline. So when, when these people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, defending the United States, um, instead training um, his uh, recruits in, uh, in, in, in Marxist theory to understand America, after all, that's what he said. He tells the House Armed Services Commu- Committee, as you report, that China would not have the capability to invade right. Taiwan before 2027 and that right. a Chinese attack on Taiwan in the next two years is technically complex. Is he under yeah. underestimating and under uh, underestimating our en- enemies at the same time undermining our allies? Yes, and this is exactly what, and I think this is a little bit of racism. Maybe, if I maybe he read a little that. too much Mao, Brandon. He started believing well, I'd it. like to just point at Millie that this is the same kind of Asian rape bigotry that the Joint Chiefs before 1941 exhibited. Oh, the Japanese, they won't be a threat. They're technologically inferior. <laughs> they, you know, and so here he is because it's an Asian force. He's sitting there saying, oh, don't worry about these guys. We got it. They're just technically complex. Really? Go to China. I'll show you technically complex. (laughs) They're eating our lunch with high tech. 
And so, like, you know, and, and at the very least, they're keeping up with us. And the Chinese hear that, and they're like, okay, keep underestimating us. We'll bide our time. Don't worry. You keep underestimating us. That's exactly what Washington did with Japan. And some of it was because there was a lot of racism involved there. And I hate to tell you this, but I think Billy might be exhibiting some racist tendencies of his own. Well, when you read Mao and Marx and you take it seriously and you're willing as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to speak of the threat of white rage in America as the purview of the Department of Defense, um, you probably are in the presence of someone who very much thinks racially. Uh, At a minimum, he's a racialist. At a minimum. I would also like like to add that when former President Trump was in the throes of those those uh, you know insurrectionist activities that the the left was subjecting this country to after George Floyd's unfortunate death that was insurrectionism at, you know perfectly defined yeah and yet Milley is reported in this new book yep. by the two Washington Post uh, uh, writers that Milley was basically sitting on orders from Trump so as not to implement. Uh, the Insurrection Act, mm-hmm. and he was walking around saying, it's not my job, yep. I, legally I can't do this. And I'm thinking to myself, could you imagine if, if Joe Biden came in and said, General Milley, I want you to deploy armed forces against these right-wing protesters because they're insurrectionists. You bet that he would do it. You bet that he would do it. But when President Trump was saying, they're burning down our cities, people are literally dying, they're threatening kids, Merely sitting there going, oh, it's not my job. Oh, oh, I can't do this. That's, that's wrong. These are just peace, mostly peaceful protesters. It's disgusting. I'm with you, Brandon, and I think, I, I, think, I, I think it's disgusting as well. You look at the recruitment videos. You look at his kinds of statements. You look at the undermining the estimation of the threat of China, not just to us but to our allies. What's the point of a Department of Defense? I used it's to recall, yeah, well, that's exactly right. And it's, it's, a, it's also an adjunct sociology department from Harvard, yeah. as far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah, he, when he said West Point is a university, yeah. I cringe. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me pick up on that academic. point with you. i got to hit the break. Let me pick up on that with you. I want to do yeah. some more China. Wendy Sherman's in the news again. Boy, they just <laughs> won't put a stake in her career, will they? It's, it's <laughs> failure after failure. How'd she do on North Korea not becoming a nuclear power? I'll get all that from Brandon Weikert when we come right back. And we will be right back. By the way, he's always open to your phone calls, too. 602-508-0960. China, space, more geopolitics when we come back. And i got to ask Brandon, he put a picture of a still of a movie on his website and it's a, it's a movie uh, with Walter Matthau and Larry Hagman. I think it's called Failsafe, if I'm not mistaken. And I think I deserve credit for it. I think I taught Brandon about this movie. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Jeff, if you give me a call back, I'll, uh, I'll address your, uh, your question. I want to... Uh, just uh, keep uh, keep it to uh, domestic and foreign policy right now with Brandon, but uh, do call me back uh, if you're if if you have a non-Brandon related call. Uh, Brandon, uh, China still in the news, always will be, but I mean it's in the yeah. news again today, despite General Milley's underestimating their aggression. It's in the news mm-hmm. t- again today because Wendy Sherman is our, I guess, Assistant Secretary of State in charge of the China portfolio. And she's stirring yep. some waters over there, getting the Chinese to, uh, well, 
what, condemn the United States again. Right, right. Well, Wendy Sherman is an exempt, a perfect example of the swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the definition of failing upward. Uh, she completely botched the uh, North Korean uh, situation in the 90s. She's been completely wrong about the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the nuclear deal with Iran, or rather the concession. And she, of course, when she wasn't working for Democratic Party presidents and messing up our foreign policy, she was also an MSNBC contributor who was a big pusher of the Russia collusion delusion uh, during the Trump administration. And so this, this is an individual who is consistently wrong about pretty much everything, and she's paid a lot of money to be wrong, apparently, at our expense. Uh, so, yes, here she is in, in China, and she's, she's now, again, she's got the opposite of the Midas touch. She's going over there, and China's trying to humiliate her. And I don't know if it's going to work, because China's got some internal problems right now they're dealing with, so they're beating their chests and trying to seem, I think, stronger than they really are. But the fact is, her little comment about how, you know, we want to compete with China, but we don't want a conflict with China. Well, I'm sorry. Um, if COVID-19 was any, any indicator, China's at war with us. And so we better start acting accordingly. And this bizarre Biden administration obsession with trying to make a differential in today's world between competition and conflict is really just, is really just out of hand. It's out of hand. It's odd. It's odd in that we have heard from the Democrats for four and a half years that Russia is the big problem. And it is a big problem. There seems to be no administration focus on Russia whatsoever. What we did with China under the Trump administration seems to have put them back on their heels a little bit. And it just seems like the Department of Defense has one operating M.O., which is whatever was the policy from December, 180 it. Right. Right. Well, actually, there is a Russia policy from this administration. It's to actually give very serious and damaging concessions to Russia. Okay. Notably, the the Nord Stream 2 pipeline connecting Russian natural gas with Germany and the rest of Europe. This is going to be the thing that breaks. You want to break the EU? You want to weaken NATO to the point of uselessness? You do this deal. And Biden just let them do this deal, and they're going through with it. And so this is the post-American world that Obama was talking about during his eight years of presidency. That's what's going on now. Biden's making sure of it. Uh, And there's no going back now. And so all the hemming and hawing from the left, for four years from tr- about how Trump was giving into Russia. He was a Russian stooge. He was going to kill Europe. Well, guess what? The Biden administration is actually doing things to ensure that that happens, whereas Trump was actually standing tough on Russia. And with China, if anything, Trump needed to go farther than he did, because when the moment he cut off uh, China's easy access to our agriculture, the soybeans and whatnot during the trade war, conveniently about a year later, uh, the Chinese signed the deal and gave Trump a huge win in the trade war. This wasn't reported, of course, in the media here, but it was a huge win. And what happened a month and a half later was they let COVID-19 get out from China and spread to the world and basically end Donald Trump's presidency. Interesting, the timing of that. Uh, the Chinese look at this uh, through, uh, you know, unconventional or asymmetrical warfare. And so I argue that actually in the eyes of Xi Jinping, 
uh, the moment Trump went after China's foodstuffs, which he had to, uh, was the moment that real, an actual new 21st century kind of war, uh, fighting through non-conventional means, uh, was initiated. And the move, the counter move from Beijing was COVID, or at least weaponizing the response by not letting the rest of the world lock down in a timely fashion. And here we are. And so, and now we have these cyber attacks that are piggybacking from China. They're piggybacking onto uh, what Russia's been doing, attacking us in cyberspace. And they're now exploiting critical weaknesses in our infrastructure. Uh, China's going after apps in their own uh, in their own country that they think could be conduits for the NSA to gain information and 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 possibly cyber attack China. So they're clogging uh, or they're blocking us from doing cyber attacks as China is rapidly at cyber attacking us on the heels of this potential biological Pearl Harbor that was COVID-19 and in response to our what they saw was the food war and so uh, through a trade war. And so while we may try to segregate these things, the Chinese don't. It's all one thing. And the Biden administration, while they seem to rhetorically kind of understand that we're in a real competition with China, they don't seem to be doing anything near what they need to be doing in terms of action. And I think that's because there's really no one leading in the administration. You have multiple power centers. They all have their own agenda. And the stalking horse to watch out for is the John Kerry Susan Rice wing of the administration, which wants to uh, give China the world so they can get this so-called climate deal. And we know how that's going to end. Is this really the play all for a climate deal? Yes. This is what people are missing. This is so, you know, my uh, my good friend Josh Rogan at The Washington Post has been a story uh, about the competing centers of power in the administration. And he, you know, as he and I have both kind of pointed out in our conversations that you've got, you know, the, the Hawks, Kurt Campbell, uh, you've got the Doves, Susan Rice and John Kerry, and then you've got political hacks who pretty much don't care where the policy goes on China as long as Biden looks good. And so right now the Hawks are winning because every time Biden attacks China publicly, his approval ratings go up. But I think that's a short term thing. I think the long term, long term thing is all of this, you know, breast beating about China is 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 hollow. And the real objective is to give John Kerry his big win on climate in the long run. And so I think that they're going to end up giving the store away to China to get some piece of paper that says, yes, China will you know, uh, regulate their, their environment. And we all know China's not going to regulate no. their environment. No, they're not. So, I mean, that's where this is headed. This is a disaster waiting to happen. Fascinating. Brandon, I, I missed that element of it as well. I mean, we're always told that whatever the United States does won't affect it. We need to get China on board. I had no idea we were willing to risk our allies. That is my theory. No, that I think it's theory. the operative theory. As you've pointed out before, you can argue with you. You'll be wrong in about five years. It's all it takes, right? <laughs> hey, can we come back and talk about uh, Afghanistan and the Taliban a little yeah. bit? It's not Happy looking to. good. Happy. And then I want to do a little Iran and uh, a little more if I can. Oh, my gosh. This is just breaking. Remember when Mitt Romney was found out to be having these uh, these odd anonymous Twitter accounts? Looks like Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe, did you see this? Joe Biden is keeping had kept private email addresses accounts when he was vice president. He was known as Robin oh, Ware and Robert Peters. It's better than whatever that Robin silly. Ware. Yeah, Robin Ware. We'll talk yeah. about that too when we come back. Brandon Weikert's our guest, publisher of the Weikert Report, and author of Winning Space. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we do every every Monday uh, in our second hour, we host Brandon Weikert, the publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, theweikertreport.com, author of Winning Space, author of another book uh, that just was accepted by a publisher. Congratulations to you on that, Brandon. Thank you. Tell us about that book before we move over to Afghanistan. Yeah, so basically it is called... Uh, the Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. And it's all about, as the title suggests, this covert war going between the West, primarily the United States, Israel, and Saudi Arabia, uh, versus Iran, and to an extent, uh, uh, the uh, Russians and the Chinese. Uh, and I incorporate uh, what Iran's doing with support for regional uh, terror groups like Kataeb Hezbollah in Iraq, what they're doing in Afghanistan, uh, what they're doing in Syria, the drones that they, the fleet of drones they've built uh, that are harassing shipping in the Strait of Hormuz, which is a vital oil choke point. I, I talk about the, for, for, uh, specifically, and we've talked about this before, the Iranian precision, long-range precision guided munitions threat, uh, and of course, then the nuclear weapons threat as well. I also talk about how um, the Iranians have been trying to send over some long-range missiles capable of reaching Miami uh, to Venezuela. And they attempted this in June of this year, but they backed off, and Biden says it's because he threatened them. But in fact, I think it's because the Iranians were in the middle of their presidential election and they didn't want to risk some kind of backlash until they could get the current lunatic Raisi uh, in, in office. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I talk about all this. It's interesting as we went soft by putting Biden yeah. there, they went hard by putting Raisi Isn't there. that? Isn't yes, it? isn't that interesting? Remember, uh, Chamberlain thought he could get a deal with Hitler. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I really hate that comparison, how everything is Munich. But in this specific case, uh, in this specific case, unfortunately, jo- Joe Biden is Chamberlain. And uh, Raisi uh, could end up being the Middle Eastern version of Hitler. Um, and uh, it's, it's a very scary position to be in. I actually think what we're looking at is the makings of the Third World War. It's going to initiate, I think, in the Middle East. Uh, we all think in Washington, they all think, I should say, that Iran is this paper tiger. But as the Saudi head of intelligence said two years ago, uh, Iran is a paper tiger with steel claws. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, remember, uh, the, the, I think the best analogy is actually not to the Second World War, though. I think it's to the First World War, where you had multiple great powers emulating themselves um, in the battlefield. Um, I, think, I think what's going to happen, actually, is because Iran is weak, it's actually going to, inst- you know, instigate a war. Very similar to how the weak Austro-Hungarian Empire, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, initiated the conflict in the First World War and dragged everybody else into it. And Joe Biden thinks that the, the, the best way out of the Middle East is to basically surrender everything that we've been fighting for uh, and then to pair that with handing off the region to the Iranians, which means also the Chinese and the Russians and Hezbollah. Uh, but in fact, that's not going to create peace. What that's going to do is encourage uh, the, the slighted Sunnis and Israelis to take matters into their own hands and probably initiate a war they can't win without American help. And that will force the Americans to basically come rushing in at a time not of our choosing when we're not really in a position to do that. 
So actually, I think what Biden's doing is creating this horrible scenario where we're going to we're going to get our butts kicked with this regional that's going to turn into a world war and the shadow wars, uh, you know, preceding that. And it's been going on for several years. And under Biden, I fear that it's going to erupt into a full blown actual war. Well, I want to talk about that. We're hitting a break. I want to talk about that a little bit more. But also, um, yes, as as it pertains to Afghanistan, because that looks to be. The immediately, you know, they said this isn't going to be Saigon 1975. I, I'm just not so sure. I'm looking at a BBC map right now, and all the territory the Taliban is poised to take over are all the cities, God knows, that we all learned of after 2001. Kunduz, uh, provinces, Kunduz, Kabul, Kandahar, Herat. Uh, let's talk about Iranian-influenced Taliban. But let me ask you a question about Israel, too, while we're at it. I wonder what you would respond if it came to the scenario you said that parade of horribles unveil unrolls unravels itself as you predicted. Will there be a um, concern in this country? You can answer this on the other side that we're having to go to war for Israel. We hear that a lot. It's never really been true. This may be a case of it, but as I always point out, whenever they chant death to Israel, they're also chanting death to the United States. They don't open their parliament right. with death to Israel. It's death to the United States. Oh, and Israel, too. We'll ask Brandon about that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, foreign policy expert, publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, and author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, you made an interesting uh, set of, um, set of uh, what would you say, hypotheticals that aren't so hypothetical. It, 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 I, I struggle with the word because it all seems so very rational as to – what could transpire in the Middle East as a result of U.S., uh, uh, let's say, uh, U.S. coddling, U.S. appeasement, and uh, U.S. Uh, retraction? You said you don't right. like the Munich analogy, and and I, I used to say that. I used to not like it. Back in the 90s and 2000s, I, early 2000s, I didn't like it because it was overused. You know why I like it again? No one knows what it is anymore. <laughs> it's right, actually right. it's actually yeah. unique again. There's a whole cohort yeah. of people under uh, under your age who who have no idea what Munich is. Hell, hell they've been That's pulled. True. They don't know what Auschwitz is. That's right. But on that, and they point, don't care. Yeah, and they don't care. And they don't care. And and the Iranian um, the Iranian intelligence is very good about monitoring U.S. public opinion, and they played it to a fairly Absolutely. well under the Obama regime, right? So you they're know, sensing what's going on with U.S. support for Israel, right. I'm sure, right now. But would this be a case if that happened, of people wanting to say or saying the United States is going to war to protect Israel? I'd hate to see that come about. Um, well, I don't think you have to worry about it because I think it's pretty clear that we won't be going to war for Israel okay. or, or, or really anyone else. I think it's very obvious. I think this is why... Israel is starting to look for new partners in Russia and China. Remember, Benjamin Netanyahu, he said before he was forced out, when Biden was threatening uh, Netanyahu a few months ago, uh, Netanyahu told an audience of supporters, and it was recorded, uh, uh, that he said, look, uh, it doesn't really matter what Mr. Biden wants. What matters is what the Russians think. And that was a clear signal that 
he was going to try to take Israel closer to Russia because clearly Russia was the new mover and shaker in the Middle East, if you can believe it. Um, and it's not because Israel's anti-American, far from it. It's because America under Biden is moving away. And I would also remind the audience, very sadly, that there is a lot of people on the right uh, who are in the ascent, the, the so-called paleoconservatives. Uh, you know, they, they have been virulently anti-Israel, anti-Zionist. And uh, so much so that, uh, you know, you have entire, you know, this Quincy Institute, uh, which is being funded by both George Soros and Charles Koch money. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, these, these high-powered thinkers like Andrew Basevich. You have one of the editors of the American Conservative, which I like this publication a lot. You have one of the, you have Pat Buchanan, a guy I like too. But when it comes to Israel, uh, they are leading, and they, this group is in the ascendance right now, uh, because of the failures of the neoconservatives, the paleocons are very, let's say, Israeli skeptic. And so even if we were to, ta- the Republicans were to get back in power, uh, my concern is that that new ascendance of right-wing thinkers is going to come from a place that is not pro-Israel. Uh, and I just think that's really unfortunate and very dangerous, because it's not just being pro-Israel, it's being pro-Sunni Arab as well. And now the Sunni Arabs have their own problems. Obviously, al-Qaeda and ISIS and many of the Islamist groups were fighting. Uh, yes, they are Sunni Arab as well, and some of them received funding from elements of Saudi Arabia as well. But the bottom line is uh, we need Saudi Arabia. We need the Sunni Arabs on our side. They have, we have a much longer track record of positive interaction with the governments of Sunni Arab countries as well as Israel than we do with Iran. And so it makes little sense for us to try to punish our allies, as imperfect as they may be, and then at the same time to empower Iran, which has been explicit for 50 years since the rise of Khomeini, that they want to kill Israel, they want to suppress the Sunnis, and they want to beat the Americans. And they are making moves in order to do that. I remind your audience, it isn't just in the greater Middle East now. There is now in the last month an attempt by the Iranians to move weapons that can reach uh, Miami, Florida, and to place them in Venezuela. And this is, uh, you know, and the real question is, would the Biden administration be willing to strike uh, uh, launching sites, Iranian launch sites in Venezuela uh, to prevent them from launching missiles at the greater United States? I don't know. I don't think they would. And I put it this way, the Iranians are clearly probing, and they no longer believe the Americans would decisively strike out for that. And so my, my whole thing here is we are in a very precarious position domestically, where you have two major parties that seem Israeli and Sunni skeptic at a time when the Iranians are going nuts. And, uh, you know, they're coming for us. And if we hand the region off to them, it's, it's going to be just like the Soviet Union in the, at the beginning. They started out as a small regional power, ideological, no one knew if they would make it, and the Americans kept giving them whatever they wanted until they became a real superpower that could challenge us you know, from the 1940s onward. And that is what I fear is going to happen with Iran. Well, replace America with Harvard and um, replace it with Harvard – and let's see, who else do I want? The National Press Club and the New York Times. Yeah. And you have the same story with the Cas- with Fidel Castro. 
Absolutely. Batista had Absolutely. defeated him. The New York Times resurrected him along with a speech yep. at Harvard that they had to move. Princeton or Harvard? Harvard, I think. They had it to was move. Harvard with, with yeah. Vic George Bundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to move to the, to the, to the sports arena because it was so crowded. Yep. I, and this is the thing. I mean, McGeorge Bundy was Kennedy's national security right. advisor. Right. He was the president of Harvard. That's right. And, and apparently... He's the one who brought Castro yeah, in the 50s of course. to come talk to Harvard. When, when they had, A week when after he told Nixon that he didn't believe in free elections. That's right. And then what does McGeorge Bundy say? He said, I only wish I had made you a student at Harvard. Yeah. And I'm like, why bother? He, he fit in perfectly yeah. already. He's perfect. You know? Yeah. You give him an honorary degree and just be done with it. But That's you know right. what that reminded me of, what Netanyahu said? It reminded me of early on, first year of the Obama administration, when they yanked missile defense out of the Poland and Czech republics. That's right. And people like Vaclav Havel and was it Vaclav Klaus maybe, they were saying, you know, yep. we just may Vaclav have to Klaus. look for other allies. Yeah, and you can't blame them. No. You can't blame them. No. I mean, it, you know, that's not a knock on Israel. That's a knock on us for not recognizing you got to dance with the ones who brought you. And the Sunnis and the Israelis, we have a much longer history with that's positive. And there's enough in the in the bank between us that we can make something good happen and contain the crazies in Iran. By the way, um, let me ask you this. Uh, we're running out of time, so it'll be my last question to you. You wrote a provocative column on Cuba that it's hard to disagree with. <laughs> uh, no, it really is. I mean, my sentiments are there, Brandon. But do you have the same problem in the paleo movement that with Cuba on the position you stake out or that we may, that, that may be short of an invasion that you do with Israel, or did the paleos support that kind of thing with Cuba? It's the exact same problem. Uh-huh. Uh, we're seeing some of our friends who write for you know American Greatness, for the American Conservatives, brilliant writers, excellent writers that I agree most of the time yeah. with. When it comes to Cuba and Israel and foreign policy, they're just so anti-neocon that they can't realize that you, you can be against regimes like Castro's and the Iranians and not be a neocon. I'm not a neocon. I kind of worried about and, this. I kind of worried about this bending further, too far back the other way. That's right. And yeah. the problem is, is that they, and they're on the ascendant. And, uh, you know, we see them on Tucker all the time. Yeah. They're brilliant people. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are completely categorically wrong on foreign policy. Yeah. And, they're, and with all due respect, they're going to get us all killed. I understand. I understand. I, who was that Hawaiian congresswoman who ran for president that was so... Tulsi Gabbard, who I know and I like, but she's... Right. No, but ha- Tucker just, just loved her foreign policy. And I was I just yeah. don't know why we were, we, why we were, good, why we were rehabilitating the worst forms of the American That's first right. movement, not the American first That's policies right. of Trump, but the America That's first right. movement of the uh, of the pro-fascist 1930s. That's the 1930s. real sad thing about no. that term. That's the real sad thing about that term, yep. because Trump used it yep. very, very literally. Yep. I don't think he realized that it actually harkened back no, 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 to he actual didn't. movement. No, he had nothing to and care about John Ford. <laughs> what did he care about right. Joe Kennedy? No, he had no Right, and I understand about. that. I and do, it's too. It's very right. unfortunate. Yeah. As yeah. we understand you, you make the hard clear, Brandon. And we thank you for that. We really do. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Brandon Weikert, The Weikert Report, Winning Space, and his upcoming book, Shadow War. Is that what it's called? Yep, that's right. Yep. Congrats on all that. Until next week, brother. Thank you. God bless thank you. Thank you. You bet. Godspeed. 602-508-0960. Be right back.
the time between that hit and uh, the the song Kokomo, which was their um, comeback in 1988, the distance in time between Help Me Rhonda and Kokomo is shorter than the distance between Kokomo and now. I just can't get past how old that makes me feel. I'm just glad people know who the Beach Boys are at this point. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Great guest coming up. He's been on before. Dove Fisher is going to talk to us about Ben & Jerry's. Ben & Jerry's. There aren't that many companies we think of boycotting, but when they engage in boycotts of our allies, maybe it's time to reconsider. Uh, do we all need to have that? Uh, that do we all really need Ben & Jerry's in our lives? See, but the problem is I say that, and 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 we're not wonderful at it. We're not wonderful at it. You know, there was this concerted effort of ours to um, support Pepsi over Coke after the after the uh, Georgia um, after the Georgia election um, law was passed, and after Coke was deciding that it needed to teach America about Marx as well. I um, I thought maybe we would see Coke profits go down a little bit. I'm embarrassed and sorry to tell you they went up. So if we're going to do this, we got to be more serious about it. But to get there, to get there, I think um, I think you first have to understand the full nature and the full import of what it is. How long did it take us to wake the American people up on the problems of our schools? Fifty years? Well, they're woken up now. Let's hope we can get the rest of institutional America, um, the rest of in, uh, institutional America's problems, uh, front and center in the minds of our of our side and our team. We have them on the run on CRT. Let's put them on the run with the rest of their woke agenda. And boy, is this a weird story, Joe Biden keeping private email addresses. Wow. How were they discovered? Guess what? They're found on Hunter Biden's laptop. Does that make you a little worried? Joe Biden using fake email addresses to write to his son about business prospects? Does that at all concern you? Is that a story? We'll see. <laughs> 